Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. I'm Nikki Druce and I'm Cheryl Hull, and this is Killers, Cults, and Queens, the podcast where we're going to learn all about the spookiest, scariest, and downright weirdest corners of the world. We're kicking things off with one of the most bizarre and unexpected true crime cases in modern day history, the case of the pizza bomber. I've got to have my energy to go 60 miles an hour with my shotgun walking stick. Or else this scavenger hunt is coming to an abrupt end because I'm hangry. I'd be like Gemma Collins, I'm claustrophobic! (laughs) That's suspicious. That's weird. That plot is getting nice and thick. We like it thick. Are you ready? You might not want to order pepperoni after this. Oh! to Killers, Cults and Queens, the show where we take you on a journey into the darkest corners of the world. I'm Nikki Druce, and all this weird stuff is my bread and butter. But how do you feel, Cheryl, about falling down the rabbit hole? It's quite the departure from Drag Race. Or is it the same kind of scary? Um, Looking at Michelle Visage, it's the same sort of scary. (laughs) But no, in all honesty, I like to keep myself in a very happy, happy part of the world. Like, look, we all know there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in this world. And some people, like yourself, like to delve into all the details. And I like... side. I I don't like to walk into the forest. I like to walk into the fields of wheat with Theresa May. Well, buckle in, because we're about to go on a real journey. One (laughs) that involves a sinister scavenger hunt, a frozen body, and the complete blowing up of one man's mind and I mean that quite literally oh my Christ (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, what have I got myself in for it's a warm early afternoon in August 2003 in the sleepy city of Erie Pennsylvania during the lunchtime rush at around 1.30 the phone rings at Mamma Mia's Pizza on Peach Street Tony Ditmo, the owner of the restaurant, takes an order for two large sausage and pepperoni pizzas, but he can't quite make out the address that the customer is giving for delivery. So he hands the phone over to his colleague, Brian Wells. Even though it's the end of his shift, 46-year-old Brian notes down the delivery address, grabs the pizzas and heads out. Just two hours later, a sinister scavenger hunt has resulted in Brian finding himself sitting in the middle of the street, surrounded by police, after just robbing a bank with a bomb cuffed around his neck, begging them to help him. The clock is ticking for him, but how did he get here? And was he an innocent man held captive, or was he hiding a secret? Let's find out. Wow. 30 seconds in. Oh my Christ. So he went from a simple sausage pizza to blowing up a bank. 
Well, not him not blowing up a bank, but robbing a bank. Oh and he now has a bomb secured around his neck, sitting outside the bank. Uh, uh, I, I, really don't, I really don't have any words already because I'm just so confused. Do you know what? I'm right. Shall we? Shall we do this? I'm gonna. I'm gonna make an executive guess. I think he was behind it all along. And then when we get to the end of the podcast, we'll see if I'm correct. Oh, I Detective think, Cheryl is on the case. Look, I've got my I've got my binoculars out. I'm looking from a safe distance because I don't want to get <laughs> I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get my hands dirty. But I think from my my executive decision from the jump is that good old Bry is a naughty boy. Might have possibly had something to do with this. Okay, right. Pizza, sausage pizza, bank, bomb. Let's let's let's, let's go. Let's dive in. Brian Wells was born on November the fifteenth, nineteen fifty-six, in Warren, Pennsylvania. He was raised in the Erie area of the state, along with his six siblings. He didn't really get into much trouble as a kid, but academics were not really his strong suit and he showed up for just 39 days of high school before dropping out at just 16 to become a mechanic. But his career plans didn't last long, and he ended up working full-time at Mamma Mia's Pizza in the city of Erie as a pizza delivery guy, where he would work for decades. Brian was said to have been a shy and unassuming guy. He lived in a fairly normal apartment complex with his three cats. He lived frugally and didn't have a lavish lifestyle, choosing to sleep on a mattress on the floor and was seemingly happy with his lot, according to his friends. His landlady and neighbour, Linda Payne, said that Brian was kind and he apparently even took wheel trims off his car because they were too shiny. He's basically the complete antithesis of you and me. <laughs> Nothing shiny, whereas we're all about the shiny. Look, if you could see me right now, I'm sitting and recording this podcast in full drag. So I'm here in a head-to-toe right yeah, exactly. suit. So, exactly. Uh, look, I'm never, I'm never going to, like, if you want the simple life in the words of Paris and Nicole, you, you do you, boo. Like, but I would like a bed frame. Yeah. Like, yeah, me too. There's just little things in life that I, I don't think are too shiny, like having a bed frame. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. You could get a wooden one from Ikea, babe. Yeah, exactly. Billy bookcase. Put exactly. yourself out. Yeah, be fine. Okay, so he's a shy retiring mechanic who went to school for 37 days. 39 days. Oh. Given those those two extras. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But gave up and went, went to work at a pizza place. Mamma Mia's Pizza does sound like a lovely establishment. Yeah. And I can just envision, like pictures of like Mario and Luigi on the wall because you you just hear like Mamma Mia Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Princess Peach serving you pepperoni. <laughs> on Sundays he would invite his widowed mum over for dinner and a movie, but other than that he was happy to be alone, telling his landlady that he would rather go homeless than move back in with his mum after he got into a car accident which wrecked his vehicle and he had nothing to deliver pizzas in anymore. Brian was so unassuming and trustworthy, in fact, that his landlady, Linda, actually helped him buy a used car to get him back on his feet so he could start delivering pizzas again. And he eventually paid it back in full. He also only ever called into work late because one of his beloved cats had died. Oh, don't. I know. Oh, my heart is melting already. But basically, he was generally a model employee. The only thing maybe a little bit out of the ordinary about Brian was that he was fond of hiring sex workers. He kept an address book with the names and numbers of the local sex workers in the area and it was clear who his favourite was, a woman by the name of Jessica Hoopsick, which is a very unfortunate name. Oh, God bless her. I hope she's got a good doctor. Mm, yeah, I'm going to need it. <laughs> Oh, no. Look, Nikki, I love you with all my heart and soul. But when you tease me like this, it's like you're twisting my knickers. I can't take it. <laughs> Brian's last day alive started like any other. He went to buy breakfast at McDonald's and then picked up the daily newspaper before heading home and essentially passing the time until work began. And it's then things take a turn. Remember that delivery he made at the end of his shift? Well, the address didn't turn out to be somebody's house. It was an old disused TV transmission tower at the bottom of a dirt track. <laughs> I know. 
When Brian arrived at the address, he claimed he was jumped by two men who forced something around his neck, fixing it like a giant handcuff. Once it had clicked into place, it seemed to set off a ticking timer, and it was then he realised it was a bomb. What in the saw is going on? Brian was then given instructions for a scavenger hunt by the men, and a list of four things to do. If he was successful in completing his tasks, he would find a code which would disarm the bomb, allowing him to unlock it. As part of his scavenger hunt, Brian is provided with a walking stick that is secretly a shotgun. And to be honest, it's very obvious that it's a shotgun. It really does look like one. (laughs) Yeah, Nikki, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think there's any disguising of a shotgun. No, even as a walking stick. Because how are you going to hide that handle? Oh, yeah, let me let me just hide the bullets. Let me just hide the trigger. Yeah, it's just yeah, a piece fine. of wood. Yeah, yeah, it's just a piece of wood. It's not a problem. He was also given a T-shirt to wear that had the word GUESS in capital letters scrawled across the front in what looked like marker pen. And i got to be honest, since I learnt about this case, every time I see someone wearing a GUESS jeans T-shirt now, I think of this. And you will too. Yeah, no, no, I'm never going to be able to look at guess ever again so the scavenger hunt police found eight handwritten pages of instructions and information but let's first look at the rules you must follow a course of instructions to find keys and combination codes to disarm the bomb do not insert keys into keyholes until instructed some keyholes are booby trapped to prevent tampering drive 60 miles an hour throughout the course use only two or three minutes at each stop A sentry will be watching at each stop to ensure you are not being followed. Bomb has trip wires. Forcing or tampering will detonate. All weapons, papers, containers, tapes, etc. must be returned to us. Each item you find after dropping money has a key and or combination word. You will need to decipher the combination. This will disarm some trip wires before you unlock. This procedure is to make sure you leave no materials behind. Do you know what I've just thought about? What? What happened to the two sausage pizzas? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's because I'm hungry <laughs> or I'm too too traumatised by the intensive rules, but with the two pizzas just left at the so tower. So if this was you, you'd be like, all right, but first I'm having a slice of that. <laughs> I've got to have my fuel. I've got to have my energy to go 60 miles an hour with my shotgun walking stick. Or else this scavenger hunt is coming to an abrupt end because I'm hangry. Look, I I am a very hangry person. If if I don't get some foodie woody in my system, it's game over. But, oh my God, these rules are insane. I know. Eight pages of them. That's That's a lot to take on before going and risking your life. Well, and think somebody's just clamped a bomb around your neck and then they hand you eight pages of instructions. I I would not be reading that. No. I I panic on the tube. (laughs) So trying to read like a map, for example, I would not cope. (laughs) I'd be like Gemma Collins. I'm claustrophobic. (laughs) But yeah, it's... it's I'm sick of playing games. (laughs) I'm literally gamed out from this scavenger hunt already. Um, No word of a lie, though. These people that came up with this are clearly very, very smart, but they're also very messed up in the head. Now, if they could channel this into the right avenue, this could have been an insane movie. Mm-hmm. But alas, they decided to do it real life. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what are they trying to achieve here is what I want to know. What are they trying to... What is the end goal? Well, Torture? We will find out. Oh! <laughs> So now we have all the rules, as if this wasn't enough, there are so many reminders in the instructions that someone will be watching Brian at all times. Big brother. And they will detonate the collar bomb if they don't like what they see along the way. Not big brother. (laughs) Well, maybe in some of the later seasons. (laughs) I'd forgotten about the giant fight the other day and it popped up on my TikTok. The season five fight? Yeah, with Michelle and... No more naked jacuzzi. Yeah. I said we'd go off on tangents on this party. So first on this ridiculous, deadly scavenger hunt is the main point of the whole plot, the bank robbery. Brian is instructed in his notes to drive to the PNC Bank in Erie and rob them for the specific amount of $250,000. If he doesn't, the bomb will be detonated. 
So Brian rocks up at the bank, saunters in with his walking stick shotgun and collar bomb around his neck and hands the following note to an employee behind the counter. Gather employees with access codes to vault and work fast to fill bag with $250,000. You have only 15 minutes. Now, according to witnesses, he was super calm. And even though he was instructed not to let anyone leave, he was so blasé about the whole thing, he didn't even notice people sneaking out behind him. Luckily, they did, and they called 911. The tellers at the bank set out to gather as much money as they could for Brian, but they didn't have $250,000 to hand over, even if they wanted to. So Brian only managed to get a paltry $8,702. So Brian left the bank, but bizarrely, before he did, he grabbed a lollipop from the counter and casually started eating it. Right. I know <laughs> I know. they said that he was a lovely gentleman that was a good citizen at work and whatnot, but the fact that he is... So, look, they always say, don't panic in a situation because it makes it worse, but that has taken it to another level. Yeah, it really is. You know, you think he's had all of these instructions, he's now got a bomb around his neck, He now has to go and rob a bank, which I'm guessing this is the first time that Brian has ever robbed a bank. So, you know, not just your standard Saturday afternoon activity or whatever day of the week it was. I'm guessing probably not a Saturday. Banks aren't open then, are they? (laughs) Not in those days, no. (laughs) And then he's just perfectly fine to just stand there and eat a lollipop. In the words of Mika, suck it too hard on your lollipop. (laughs) The bank's going to get you down. Um, But... This this is how you know that the people aren't as clued up in these games because banks don't have that money. They've never had that money. I didn't realise this. Right? Did you not? No, I just thought banks had tons of money. I'm stupid. No, no. So basically they only have X amount in their banks at one time. So is this why you can only withdraw up to like... Two fifty five hundred without like I believe so, yeah, it. because um they have to bring the money in, and then that's why the guys with the big helmets and the things come and they take the money. So if there's lots of money that's been poured into the bank that day, oh. they take it away, and they take it to the special bank places, and keep it all there. There you go. It's all these movies that all misleading. Thinking like, oh yes, there's thirty million pounds sitting in the NatWest in Shoreditch. Like, well, just, nah, just bank heists. That's what I thought the whole deal was. I thought there was just loads of money sitting in vaults somewhere. I've been tricked by Hollywood. I blame Hollywood entirely. I, and Hollywood is to blame for a lot of things, <laughs> including these stupid bloody scavenger hunts. <laughs> They've watched too many movies. It's true. When the money secured, well, at least some money secured, it was time for the next step in the scavenger hunt. Exit the bank with the money and go to the McDonald's restaurant, which calling McDonald's a restaurant always makes me laugh because it is not a restaurant. (laughs) Well, the minute they start... Where is the table service? (laughs) Well, they do it now. Do they? Yeah. So if you order at the machinies... Yeah. You can opt for table service. So you take you look you type can in like four five one and then they bring the food to your table. Oh. So that they have stepped their puswanas up <laughs> and I'm I'm very grateful for it. But yeah, they are McDonald's restaurants. Restaurante. But I wonder I wonder if you made an order. Maybe. Quick hash browns on the way out. Oh, don't. I'm really tempted. I haven't had a McDonald's hash brown in a hot second. Bloody love a McDonald's hash brown. If I could, on on my birthday, I just ordered hash browns from McDonald's for my birthday breakfast. And I had that and a sausage and egg McMuffin. And I ordered like 10 hash browns, maybe. See, Nikki, this is why you're a girl after my own heart. Yeah, you can't go wrong. I even, I couldn't eat them all. So I had, I kept them in the fridge and I heated them up later and they were even better. Oh. So there you go. So exit the bank with money and go to the McDonald's restaurant. Get out of the car and go to the small sign reading drive through open 24 hours in the flower bed. By the sign, there is a rock with a note taped to the bottom. It has your next instructions. The next set of instructions directed Brian to get back in his car and head up Peach Street to a wooded area a few miles away. But Brian never made it that far. After the robbery, police were hot on his tail and they found him in a nearby car park just about to get into his car. 
Brian tried to explain to them about the bomb, but the police were very confused, and as far as they were concerned, they'd just caught the guy who robbed the bank, so there was no way they were letting him go. They told him to sit on the floor and then left him there for half an hour before they decided to call in the bomb squad. Police were slow to react as they had no idea whether Brian was a victim or a terrorist or if the bomb was even real. Brian pleaded with the officers for help, reportedly asking, why is no one coming to get this thing off me? But no one did anything. Little did the police know, the so-called sentries, which Brian was told earlier would be right behind him, were watching. This whole ordeal had attracted TV news crews, and Brian's fate was being broadcast live all over local television. From their TV, Brian's captors were watching this whole thing play out. They clearly thought a dead man is better than a man who might spill the beans. So the device around his neck starts beeping, and on live television, they detonated the bomb. Brian sadly didn't stand a chance. The makeshift collar bomb blew a hole in his chest and head and he died instantly. Just three minutes later, the bomb squad arrived. I am, I am, Bri, I'm so, so sorry. I'm sorry I doubted you from the beginning of this podcast. That is insane. Look, in a small town of Erie, they're not going to know what to do with a bomb McBomberson. No. So they're going to go, yeah, it's fine. These people are, are the major leagues. They're not the minors. They're the majors. So they knew what they were doing. Um, but yeah, that's no Love Island. No, not at all. <laughs> that's that's not that's no love, lovey-dovey, happy family guy on ITV too. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I wonder what the population of Erie actually is, because for something to happen to what I presume as such a small town. That is wild. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right with the emergency services. To turn up to something like this, they're going to be very used to, like, escaped cows or, like, you know, real, I don't know, maybe domestic things. Old lady lost a purse. Yeah, but nothing so well organised and orchestrated as this. This is like New York City, Chicago, LA shit. Yeah. But I think they probably used the small town thing to their advantage, and that's why. Yeah. They oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Like the amount of robberies that happen in like small villages and stuff in the UK because nobody expects to go looking there. Yeah. Well, people, the gangs actually go to certain areas like that, don't they? Just mm-hmm. to get away from it. There was a a gang in the nineteen twenties of all female robbers. And they used to get in their cars and bearing in mind women weren't really allowed to drive back in the 1920s. And they used to go with them, their boyfriends and take like basically just convoys of cars and just ram raid like these tiny little villages and just steal from all these multi mega mansions. And that was like in the 1920s oh my with these amazingly gorgeous flapper women. <laughs> See, if anybody tried to rob my house, they'd be game over. <laughs> Because I've got ring doorbell, ring garden security, and then I've also got um, the the alarm inside the house. So don't try me. <laughs> don't start with me, you little bitch. And several Rottweilers. Yes. Don't forget that. <laughs> don't forget the Rottweilers. <laughs> so if you thought that was wild, things are about to get even more confusing and unbelievable. Now, I'm going to hit pause there, Nikki, because I genuinely thought that was the end of the episode. No, (laughs) things are about to change quite significantly here. So we've gone from something that is pretty harrowing and horrific, but we're about to go even more harrowing and horrific. Buckle up. (laughs) Buckle up, bitches. (laughs) It's a few days after Brian's death and the bank robbery, and the police are stumped. They have the scavenger hunt, they have the hard evidence of the bomb, And they have the walking stick shotgun, but they have absolutely no leads. To try and get to the bottom of things, they even drove around doing the rest of the scavenger hunt without the crime, running around town trying to collect the clues. But the organisers weren't stupid and they'd already been and taken away the clues they'd left dotted around the city. Wow. So things have gone dark for the police and they have no leads to follow. But a few weeks later, they get a call from a man called William Rothstein. 
he has called to confess that he has the dead body of a man in his freezer. What in the desperate housewives now? (laughs) Okay, right. Okay, just when you think, just when you think you're getting to the end of the plot, bam, the sequel. Yeah. He says the dead body is a guy called James Roden and he's storing it as a favour to a friend. That's a very big favour. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Better to ask of somebody. Can I just keep this body in your your chest, please? Yeah, I, I don't have room in mine. You'd have to get rid of the ice cream first. Oh my God, you'd I was to, literally you'd thinking of quick... the Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> om nom nom nom. Yeah. Body in. Just move the frozen peas, it'll be fine. Yeah, just have that salmon steak, you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> William explains to police that his friend Marjorie Deal Armstrong had murdered her then-boyfriend by shooting him in the head with a shotgun whilst he was sleeping and needed somewhere to hide the body, and William willingly obliged. William told Marjorie that he had a chest freezer he wasn't using, but then Marjorie had another idea, saying they should put James in the ice grinder. Oh my god! Corpse mutilation was clearly William's boundary line, and the ice grinder was a step too far. So he rang the police to dob Marjorie in. I'll keep the body, but I won't chop but it I'm up. I'm not putting it in the ice grinder. That's just a step too far, I'm afraid. Poor James. Just what an awful... Just just cubes of James. Ugh, just hideous. Or would it be crushed? Crushed or cubed? You'd be, you'd be ground down, wouldn't you? Oh, into shaved bits. Ugh. But why would William, just a friend of Marjorie's, do this for her? Well, at this point, he had proposed to Marjorie twice. He was madly in love with her, and Marjorie had him wrapped around her little finger. Oh, he's a bitch. It turns out that William was being eaten up by the guilt of harbouring James's corpse for Marjorie, and he had actually contemplated suicide instead of turning Marjorie in. When police searched his home, they found a suicide note that, interestingly, had started with the sentence... This has nothing to do with the Wells case, as in Brian Wells. We're all we're coming back. We're coming back round. It's not the sequel. We're going back to the original. Yeah, wow. that plot is getting nice and thick. And we like it thick. <laughs> anyway, obviously the police were like, "Uh, that's suspicious." So they began to search his home further. William was a big bulk of a man with a beard who always wore overalls. He was a part-time shop teacher at the local high school, which is like woodworking and stuff and simple household engineering bits. And he also did odd jobs as a handyman to make a living. His house was filled with electrical and mechanical equipment and he definitely possessed the skills to be able to make a collar bomb and the shotgun walking stick. His house was also suspiciously close to the TV transmission tower Brian had delivered his last pizza to on the day he died just five minutes walk away. So much so that when reporters turned up to the tower the day after Brian had died, guess who went to talk to them to see what was going on? Willie Baby. 
Bill also had a roommate. Wait, who's Bill? William. Bill. Wait, is that... Is that when... The, the, yeah. You were joking. Yeah. How'd you get Will with Bill? Billy's Willy. <laughs> okay, okay. Now I'm now I'm on the same page. Okay. So, William, yep. Will, yep. Bill. Yeah. Those are his aliases. Yeah. So, okay. generally, he was he went by Bill. Um, but and in a lot of reporting, they obviously used the full name. Um, but yeah, generally he was he was Bill. Yes. Okay. Bill. Bill also had a roommate, Floyd Stockton. He was also not a particularly nice character, having been on the run since sexually assaulting a 19-year-old intellectually disabled girl, and Bill was harboring him in his home. So that just gives you an idea of how nice of a person Bill is. Five minutes walk away in the other direction from Bill's home, there was a shell garage that Bill used to go to and get cookies. There was a payphone there too that he liked to make calls from. And take a guess where the call for two large pepperoni and sausage pizzas came from. Hello, Shell Garage. So let's talk about the love of Bill's life, Marjorie. After Bill dobbed her into the Rosers, she was arrested and put behind bars for killing the man in the freezer, her boyfriend James. But... This was not the first time Marjorie had killed. In 1988, she was acquitted of murder after having killed her boyfriend at the time, Bob Thomas, back in 1984. Marjorie shot him six times in the chest at close range whilst he was sitting in their living room on the couch. According to Marjorie, Bob was physically abusive and they both suffered from mental illness which made their living conditions absolutely awful. Both had hoarding tendencies, and that made for a highly toxic relationship, which Marjorie decided to end with murder. Rather suspiciously, she also had a further two dead husbands. Her first husband reportedly took his own life, and her second husband died after tripping and hitting his head on a coffee table. That's suspicious. That's weird. (laughs) Look, this, this woman is psycho. She ain't, she ain't sweet but psycho. She is just pure psycho. So while she's in custody for getting caught for the murder of James Roden, police search her house. When they got to her house, they realised it was beyond anything they'd seen before. It was full of dog faeces, takeaway wrappers, Ugh. piles of rotting food, Ugh. and there were clothes everywhere. Well, to be fair, there were clothes everywhere in my house, so I'm, I'm taking that out of the yeah. equation for hoarding. Look, you know how everything <laughs> comes in stories of threes? Yeah. Poo, wrappers, and I've gone off food. I yeah, can deal with. Yeah, that's okay. Clothes. Clothes. That's all right. Yeah, I can forgive. That's n- not dirty. They're not going to go rotty. It was such a hazard to health that police had to wear hazmat suits to search it. It was apparent to police that the state of the home was not that of a mentally well person. Marjorie suffered from multiple mental illnesses, including bipolar disorder and paranoia. And according to those who knew her, she was very clever, graduating high school with straight A's. But she was also a huge narcissist. Pause. What's narcissist mean? Uh, Narcissistic personality disorder. One of several types of personality disorders is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships and a lack of empathy for others. And then you suddenly go, oh, I know lots of narcissists. Wow. Let me just get my address book out. Ah, exactly. (laughs) Write a little N next to each one. For no. (laughs) You're not invited to the party. (laughs) Whilst the Wells case was going on, the FBI had made a profile of the kind of person they thought was behind it. So with her profile, they said it was someone that was most likely a hoarder, someone comfortable with electrical machines and power tools, and someone that could work alone with said power tools, and someone who took pride in their creations. They also said that the person behind this would have a massive superiority complex. (gasps) the narcissist yep there she is (laughs) wow even though marjorie was smart and bill clearly had the skills to make the weapons police also had their eye on someone else oh my god not not another one yep so you need to add another name to your list now okay (laughs) right from the top bry yep dead james yep uh will bill yep marjorie yep the pizza owner mamma mia yep and now we have got who? Kenneth Barnes. Mr. Barnes. Kenny Barnes. Sounds like a, like a country singer. It does, doesn't it? 
Maybe yeah. lock them doors and turn the lights down low. <laughs> Kenny Barnes. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's not a country singer. He's oh, just a so. bad man. <laughs> Alexandra Burke, bad boys. Carol. <laughs> Kenneth was a former television repairman turned crack dealer. <laughs> Go on. Of course. It's just natural <sighs> career progression, isn't it? <laughs> Kenneth and Marjorie had been spotted driving the wrong way up the highway in one of the locations noted on the scavenger hunt. The and crack. A... <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is de- that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, oh, that's crack-a-lacking. That's what's happening there. And apparently had been bragging about knowing the ins and outs of the pizza bomber plot. After a while, Kenneth's brother got wind of what was going on and was like, hang on a minute, something isn't right here, and dobbed him into the police. Kenneth, however, was actually in prison already at this point for unrelated drug charges. So, generally, Kenny boy is having a bad time right now. Look, they say everything comes in threes. Yep. Crack. Crack. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe it's only two. (laughs) Maybe it's only two. I think it's just crack, crack and crack, isn't it? Yeah. Crack, crack and pizza bomber. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> now, I know there's been a lot of names and keeping up to do so far, but there's one name that you did forget, and I'm going to see if you can remember it now. What was the name of the sex worker? Oh, Jessica uh, uh, Moldy Flaps. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> okay, okay. So that wasn't her last name, but I remember it was something obscure. Jessica Hoopsick. Hope sick. You Moldy were kind of close. You were kind of close. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Poor, <laughs> poor Jess. How does she come into this now? Well, she phoned the police with the information that she used to visit Kenneth and have parties with him at Brian Wells's flat, which means that Kenneth and Brian knew each other. I think I've done a do a leaper, did a full 180. Yeah. I think Brian was in on this all along. Right, I'm back in the game. I'm back okay. in the game. Okay, you want Jess, it? you're yeah. my girl. So whilst Kenneth is already in prison, he decides to tell investigators that he'll provide information in return for a reduced sentence and spills the beans. He revealed that Marjorie was in fact the mastermind behind the scavenger hunt and she had actually hired Kenneth to kill her father. <gasps> So it turns out that Marjorie's father was sitting on a nice little nest egg of what she believed to be around $2 million. She thought he was squandering the money and was worried it would all be gone before he died and that she wouldn't get any of her inheritance. So her immediate thought was to hire a hitman and kill him to stop him spending. You think you would just have a little bit of a conversation with first, wouldn't you? Like, Daddy, please put some money aside. Like, Let's Daddy, be sensible. Daddy, please. Daddy, I want a golden goose, Daddy. <laughs> Before any of that happened, she would need to drum up $250,000 to pay the hitman. If she did it herself, it would be very obvious that she was the perpetrator and she couldn't risk that outcome. Kenneth also revealed that Marjorie killed her boyfriend, James Roden, because he found out about the bomb plot and threatened to tell the police. So did she try and get the 250k from the bank to pay for the death of the dad? Yeah. Ah, it's all coming together now. So police head straight over to Marjorie in Muncie State Penitentiary, where she was already serving time for James's murder, to question her about her part in all of this. She agreed to be questioned, but said she'd only give up information if she could be moved to a minimum security prison closer to Erie. She's smart, given that. Yeah. Look, life's all about bargaining. And scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing is, with Marjorie, though, her bipolar and mental health issues meant she couldn't control what she was saying, and being behind bars was obviously not helping any of this. Pair that with her narcissistic tendencies, and she couldn't keep her mouth shut. She told police everything she knew. She said she didn't make the bomb, but she did supply some elements for it, such as the kitchen timers, and she said she was within a mile of the bank when it all went down. To try and jog her memory further, police asked her to go on a drive with them to the sites from the crime, and she told them what she'd been up to that day, confirming that she'd gone to the Shell garage to buy some petrol on the day of Brian's death, and William and Kenneth were with her. And yes, Bill happened to make a phone call at his favourite petrol station that day. Uh, I'll have two sausage and pepperoni pizzas, please. Yeah, exactly. This was obviously gold dust info for the police, but Marjorie had them right where she wanted them. 
If they wanted more info, they'd have to meet her demands. She wanted to be transferred and be given immunity. However, it was already too late. Marjorie and her superiority complex had given the FBI all they needed to indict her. (laughs) So surely this means that we now have our conclusion. Marjorie, Bill and Kenneth are the brains behind the bank heist. But that's not everyone. There's one more person who is apparently in on it all along. Brian Wells. Fuck! I knew it! (laughs) I knew it! You were right. Detective Cheryl was on the case and got it right from day one. You should have been there on the day. FBI who? Yeah, exactly. CH Investigations. Yeah. Right here, right now. Yeah. Look, they, you had me halfway through this. I thought he was just an innocent little bugger that just got caught up in all this. He was just trying to deliver some sausage and pepperoni pizza. And yes, I keep going on about this pizza because <laughs> I'm starving. But... I knew it. I knew he could not be innocent. It's always the quiet ones. Brian was tired of working as a pizza delivery man. Contrary to popular belief, he actually did want to change his financial situation, but not for material possessions. You see, he was in love with his favourite sex worker, Jessica. Jessica had a pretty bad crack addiction, and in order for Brian to keep seeing her, he had to pay for their time together. He figured if he had enough money to pay for Jessica's drugs, that she may stay with him long term. In fact, Jessica was the one who introduced Brian to the band of delinquents, as Kenneth was another of her customers. So these two are Eskimo brothers. Eskimos? Have you not heard that term before? No. It's when you've had sex with the same person. Well, that's that's the entirety of the gay community. <laughs> It's like an inbred city. <laughs> this person slept with this person. It's like a, it's not even a, like a love triangle. It's like a hexagon. <laughs> it goes around and around and around. Eskimo brothers. Eskimo brothers. Wow. Yeah. Okay, you learn yeah. something new every day. There you go. I mean, it did sound a bit like Swinger Central in um in Brian's flat. Well, also small town. So there's not that many to choose from, I guess. I mean, in all honesty, our friend came over to our house the other day and they were on Grinder, and it was so funny because obviously I haven't been on Grinder in four and a half, nearly five years. And it's so funny going on and seeing the exact same faces on there still after all this time. Mm. You just go, God, like, like oh, no fresh meat. <laughs> <laughs> no fresh meat. Amanda Thrip. Anyway, I'm go- before I go off on a Matilda t- tangent, we should finish this story. We oh, should. so they used to they used to both double dip her just for some crack. I don't think together at the same time. I just think they were sharing. Just, just yeah, just just customers pop into the shop, but never at the same time. Don't they? pop into the shop. Don't talk about a vagina like that. <laughs> So Brian got together with Marjorie, William, Kenneth and Floyd to rob the bank and were promised a share of the two million Marjorie would posthumously receive from her father's assassination. Posthumously? Good with that one? Dictionary. Yeah, that means afterwards, after the event. Posthumously? Yeah, posthumously. Wow. I, like I don't think word. that'll be like going that into word. my vocabulary. But... I like it. So after, after he was dead, they were going to get two mil yeah. between them. I'd love to. I'd love to know the percentages she was willing to share that with. Yeah, I, I eighty think, twenty. Yeah, probably less 90, than that. 10. Yeah, five <laughs> percent each. Yeah. Now, because Brian died on the day of the bank robbery, it's unclear at what point he went from a co-conspirator to an unwilling participant. But it seems to be that although Brian thought they were robbing a bank and would get away with it, he was simply a pawn, as Marjorie would later prove. It's thought that Brian didn't know that the collar bomb was real when he went to go and meet the rest of his crew at the TV tower. The others explained it was just a safeguard that he could use to get out of trouble if he was caught, just a way of making him look like a victim. Bill's roommate Floyd was now in prison after having been eventually caught for his sexual assault charge. He says he and Bill were the ones to attach the bomb around Brian's neck. Apparently up until that point he'd been unaware that the bomb would actually be real. Oh my god. Upon further inspection of the collar bomb by experts, it actually wouldn't have even mattered if Brian had finished the scavenger hunt and gathered the code to unlock the clasp. 
the bomb would have detonated anyway, taking one of the criminal five out of the equation with more money for Marjorie. She is absolutely not well. I really do feel sorry for him. Like, look, I genuinely think that he was a nice person. He just got caught up in all this hoo-ha and nonsense. And he thought, if I do this, and they've told me that it's all going to be fine, and I'm innocent, I'm a victim. He was dead from the get-go. Yeah. And they took advantage of him. And that is what I hate in the world, is when I see people being taken advantage of and they can't help it because they're so helpless because they can't, they don't know anything else other than being taken advantage of. And it really upsets me. So I'm, my heart goes out to Bri. It yeah. really does. I think what happened was that Kenny had obviously seen him hanging around with Jessica and took advantage of that situation, knowing yeah. that he would quite happily go along with this if he knew that he could pay to be with her forever. Yeah. Which is what he thought was going to happen. Just awful. I think there was jealousy involved as well. Quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Love will make you do stupid things. It's very true. So where are the crew now? Well, Brian's family firmly believe that he was not a co-conspirator in the pizza bomb plot, but he was posthumously charged. There you go. You know that word now. <laughs> in the past. In the past. <laughs> but he was posthumously charged as such. Floyd and Jessica also said they believed Wells was innocent and that he was just a pawn in Marjorie and Bill's plan. Floyd was given an immunity deal in return for testifying against Marjorie and Bill, and from what I can find, I think he's still alive. Marjorie was sentenced to life in prison, plus 30 years, on top of her other conviction for murdering James Roden. Pause. How can you get more than life? Is that just like, ha-ha, and we're also going to do this? Um, I'm not entirely sure of how it works, but it's because they don't want you to ever leave prison. Right. So they put such a ridiculous sentence on that person. So it means that even if they apply for parole, there is no chance of them because you would have to apply twice and that's not going to happen within this, a, a certain time frame. Yeah. Um, so they basically, they're just leaving her to rot. Life plus 30 years. So it's like, yeah. even when you're dead, you're still going to be in prison in your coffin. Before her trial, she had received cancer treatment after a lump was removed from her neck. Six years later, in 2017, she died in prison from cancer. To the day she died, despite saying she was part of the bank heist, she claimed that she never knew Brian and that she was not his killer. Bill died from lymphoma in 2004, aged 60, before he could even stand trial. So he got away with it. Bastard. And Kenneth was sentenced to 45 years for conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery, which was then reduced to 20 years after he cooperated with the police and gave them information on Marjorie. He died in prison in June 2019. Jessica Hoopsick has maintained she wasn't involved in the case itself, but says she was the one who introduced the gang. But she has since come under fire after the Netflix documentary Evil Genius came out about the case as giving a false narrative of the events. She also claimed that Wells fathered her son, but if you Google what her son looks like, I have very sneaking suspicions that was not the case. I can't wait to see the picky wickies. <laughs> yeah, it's quite obvious that he was not the father. <laughs> wow. Well, Nikki, it's safe to say that I am still in love with pizza and it will be my death row meal. Um, I'm glad you haven't put me off because the the actual pizza... Whilst it was minute to the plot, I still found a way to make it the whole plot. <laughs> I Look, I was expecting it to go a completely different way. I thought it was going to be like, look, there was an incident in a pizzeria. Uh, there was a like a, a terrorist threat and like the whole place blew up. Not this saw jigsaw scavenger hunt, unlock the codes... But the sub-layers with Kenneth and Marge and the Ice Maker, that, that mind-blown. And that was the Pizza Bomber.
So we just have to say the knowledge out there on this topic is vast and much more than we can fit in one episode. So please check out our sources if you want to find out more. Yes, 100%. And if you have been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please have a look at the description for lots of helpful resources. Next time on Killers, Cults and Queens. We're diving headfirst into the creepiest character on the internet. And I don't think I'm actually ready for this. I can't even say their name. Slenderman! There, I said it. Slenderman. So close your curtains and whatever you do... Don't look him in the eyes. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of Killers, Cults and Queens. And if you have a case or a story you'd like us to explore, get in touch. Yes. See you next time. And don't be a killer or join a cult. Just be a queen. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.